June 2nd, 2016, it's a Watt from Pedro Show.
Daddy's car with three stone friends and a fake ID. Fresh out of school, not a care in the world at all. In my 18 summer life, never was so free. And it was just then that the chains began to fall. She was dark-haired, she was wild-eyed. I was helpless and spellbound. What she made me feel was strange back then, but I know what it was now. Needed something bad needed leaves every other word weak and small. Needed when you're really needed. You can rise to meet it, or you can fall. For what happened next, I offer no excuse. Maybe we were drawn to what our parents said was sin. But in our passion, we saw just one thing to do: throw ourselves at each other and caution to the wind. She longed to keep it. I said no. I had my future to think of, and in her darkest hour, she learned what young men won't do for love. Needed something that needed pointed straight at my freedom like a loaded gun. Needed when you really needed some rise to meet it, and some of us run. Life goes on, old wounds mostly mend. When your mom and I were married, such better days began. And when you were born, it's when I became a man. Eighteen and on your way. 
There are some few simple things I wish for you That you will steer past shallow freedoms As you follow your own star And when your life is at its darkest Please remember that you are Needed Something about needed Leaves every other word Weak and small Needed I hope you know that you're needed That you'll rise to meet it And never shall fall for Pedro show uh, here in uh, my pad and Pedro brother Matt disposed still with his trippy school st- schedule so there's man alone mode in my pad but for the show not man alone because via the wonders of Skype Robbie folks joins us hey Robbie hey there Mike and where are you calling from uh, Wilmette Illinois okay is it spelled the same as the Oregon one the river uh, it's spelled W I L M E T T E. No, uh, no A in it. Ah, because they pronounce different, right? Willamette. Yeah, this one comes from the French O U I L M E T T E. I'm not sure what the derivation of Willamette is, uh, but this one comes from the French. It used to be called Gross Point. It was a little German village, and then it expanded. Uh, I don't know in the uh, in the 60s, probably. I don't know when it was renamed, but uh, but it's probably got. Uh, a little over, uh, I should check it while I'm talking. I think it's about 100,000. Whoa. Okay. And then, uh, well, let's, uh, we start off Bags and Train, John Coltrane, Mill Jackson. Then we had uh, you, Robbie, doing Needed off your uh, new album. Oh, my God. You're getting pathetic right away. <laughs> That's right. Now, look, Robbie, tell me, what is your earliest musical memory you can recall? Uh, probably like, uh, you know how they used to have, uh, oh, I'm seeing, I, I, I way over exaggerated on the 2010 census has 27,000 people. So it's probably, you know, closer to 40 now or something in Wilmette. But, uh, first musical memory, you know, they had those, uh, reel to reel tapes, I guess, uh, probably quarter inch tapes, uh, in the sixties. And my dad used to put, uh, record other people's vinyl records on them. Anyway, he had a couple that were uh, Patrick Skye and Doc Watson and Mimi and Richard Farina. And uh, those were sort of, uh, you know, compared to the LPs where you could look at them and see, you know, you get an image with it and see who was playing on it and get other information. Those tapes had just had nothing on them. And so you'd like uh, sink into them like a radio show and use your imagination. And uh, I think those things just uh, were my first really vivid musical memory. And so, you know, the, his tape would start off with Doc Watson, his first Vanguard album, which had uh, The Intoxicated Rat and uh, The Black Mountain Rag and uh, about 11 other tunes on it. And um, and that's, uh, yeah, I, I still go back to that. I think that's in there pretty deep. How old were you? Oh, you know, four, I guess. Okay. Oh, so they go way back. Now, was your pop just a listener, or did he make music, too? Oh, uh, thanks for the question. Yeah, he uh, 
he uh, played guitar in kind of a Kingston Trio uh, inspired group for a while in the late 60s and early 70s. And then he gave it up and uh, and he gave his guitar to me. And um, I played his Martin. He had a 65 triple O 28 Martin. And, and I played for a lot of years until uh, about uh, seven years ago when I bought uh, two other guitars and retired that one. I, I beat up his guitar pretty well over the 20 some years that I played it. But uh it's uh, it's still uh, it's still around, and he's still uh, I, I don't know what his relationship to music is anymore. He lives in Mexico with my mom, and I don't think uh, I don't think he's played at all for a lot of years. Okay, but in those days he was playing when you were in the pad, so you you're absorbing this. And uh, is he the guy who taught you guitar? Yeah, he showed me some chords, and my mom showed me a couple chords. And, oh, your uh, mom, your mom's a guitarist too. Well, she plays a little bit. You know, she uh, when we played together, she would more play auto harp, and I would play the banjo or maybe the fiddle, and my dad would always be the guitar player. So, uh, yeah, there was music in the house. And, um, but uh, honestly, I got more from records. I was kind of an alone kid, and um, like a lot of us musicians probably were, and, uh, and I just sat in the room and, uh, you know, really uh, just put my whole mental space into records. And is that how you learn banjo and fiddle? Uh, I think so. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Cause I didn't start gigging till I was like 15. So, uh, so over those first, uh, you know, eight years that I was playing, I guess I was just playing mostly in the room and with my family and, and listening to records and trying to pick up stuff. Did you ever try to do music in school? You know, like the school band shit kind of stuff. <laughs> it's usually brass, right, or woodwinds. I was going to say there's not much room for banjo. And, yeah, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> or even guitar, right? They have, and the bass is usually stand up or sousaphone <laughs> for the marching band. But believe it or not, a lot of cats I talked to about their music journey. Some some people put in some school time. Oh um, yeah, I believe it. I, I'd probably be better off if I had. But uh, no, I. Uh, you know, I played banjo. It was a couple of years before I picked up the guitar. And I remember my music teacher, she would take me around to different schools in the county. And I would come in and do a little program of banjo music. And uh, and that was the first I understood that you could get the attention of girls and stuff with uh, even with a banjo, believe it or not. And because uh, I was doing hits of the day, like Take Me Home, Country Roads and Melanie's Brand New Key and shit like that. And uh, so I, I figured out that that was my thing kind of early on and and uh and and though i didn't have a school band you know they they knew i played at school i didn't keep it a secret you know i tried to publicize it did you play with other cats um yeah now and again but really uh you know once again i think my main thing was really just going home sitting in my room and uh and getting into my own head with it you know besides getting taken these schools do you remember your first like gig yeah, I had a gig with my dad when I was, uh, I wouldn't call it a gig. I mean, I got up on stage with him in a nightclub and sang I Love Trash, you know, the Oscar the Grouch song. And uh, <laughs> that, that was in 1971. But my first real gig was uh, when I was uh, 15 in uh, 1979. I started uh, working in a vegetarian restaurant in Durham, uh, North Carolina, near where I lived. And, uh, and, uh, so that was the first time I really started like thinking about set lists and pacing and repertoire and addressing an audience and stuff like that. Durham, College Town. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, Duke, right? Yeah, that's right. The uh, restaurant was about a half block from the Duke campus, so I guess actually, it was. Actually, that. there's like uh, yeah, a whole lot of good basketball. But then uh, the Chapel Hill's nearby, and uh, what do they call it? Some kind of triangle. There's a lot of medical stuff there. Yeah, that's right. Research triangle. Oh, research triangle, that's it. Okay, uh, we're going to do the song here, Alabama at Night. What can you tell me about that? Okay, I'm losing you slightly, but you said you're going to play Alabama? At night. Okay. What can you tell me about that tune? Well, it takes its cue from uh, James A.G. and Walker Evans's uh, trip to live with rural sharecroppers in 1936. And he wrote an article for Fortune magazine about it that they ended up not picking up. But he turned it into a book called Let Us Now Praise Famous Men. And um, it's not too specifically about that historical event, but it's about more the idea of uh, seeking out suffering people and observing them and then turning it into art. Yeah. I just read uh, Fat City by, uh, God, what's his name, Leonard? Uh, it's about Stockton, and it's pretty beat down. <laughs> and, oh, is uh, that the one John Houston made the movie out of? That's right, in the early 70s. God, what's his name, Leonard Granger? Well, I can't I remember. The writer, and man, it's it's about kind of Palookaville, a boxing guys, and, and a lot of fruit picking, and it, it, it's pretty beat down. So let, let, let's, but anyway, let's listen to Alabama at night, okay? A red tail hawk sat watchful at the faded edge of day. The phone poles and the pines rose from the scoured clay. The sun was slipping toward the gulf in its own good time. And you would not think of death if you drove on past the signs. The old men at the roadhouse weren't too polite to stare Where we'd come from wasn't home, and we were far from even there The camp around my neck drew suspicious eyes to me But we were not there to talk, we were only there to see When their faces had said nothing was that I stepped outside And in the instant I knew I would not forget the sight Alabama at night Alabama at night You took the wheel up 119 I scanned the road ahead Trying to let all I could see Cover up all that I'd read That hotel would not likely Let a working man lie down Like a current through its walls Ran the sorrow and the sound And I knelt down to let it in me Sure it would come if I gave it time And I phoned amongst a hundred Words, but words don't do it right. Alabama at night, Alabama at night. Mm-hmm. 
Through sunlit rooms, the wealthy walk, and the pale, unshaven men to stand before each frame. Five seconds, maybe ten, and to unveil all the maker wanted to portray. But I'm not there to talk, and if I were, I wouldn't say. Across the rough-cut branches and the wide, gray-shadowed sky, a child not far from birth. With the end etched in her eyes, the morning star above her and a hymn upon the breeze, but pours no sacred song, pours a disease. And no hand reaches down from heaven, and no one denies it might. So patiently we wait here as onward it rolls. Alabama at night, Alabama at night, Alabama at night.、Mm-hmm. This body, this case, pushing my tailors, pulling here.
my kitchen window, a soldier's trench on a busy street. I am dangerously sober a minute ago. I watch the stream pour by behind the bus stop by the corner. That is my vantage point. I, my, I view from my little kitchen window the sky and 1105 dominates a ponderous two-story apartment building. I look up and try to see progress. The fresh air seeps in rather nicely. A steady day in the state of things. I have hugged my little fortress for 16 years, peered at an angle at many folks. It seems no one sees me with my little bush and chest-height advantage, a nice way to break in the day. I am among the lower numbers on the block. In fact, 1105 is the lowest one. I am at a crossroads. This is a mixed neighborhood. I love that. my place that is pointed upward, too.
radio show, we heard uh, Robbie Folks doing Alabama at night. We were talking about that uh, book, Fat City, during the music there, and uh, it's Leonard... Uh, not, Guard? Not, yeah, not Granger. <laughs> That's Stuart Granger. This is uh, uh, Leonard Gardner, and who's still around. He's in his 80s and stuff. And, uh, amazing oh, wow. Cat. But we were also talking the fact that maybe all... Works of art don't have to have the schmaltzy happy ending, you know. Maybe, yeah. Have you ever read the Sand Pebbles? Um, no, you got me again. Who wrote that? Richard McKenna. He was a sailor, and yeah, that's not too happy an ending. But uh, it does say something about humanity. After Robbie, we had uh, Lemon Kittens. I found my old uh, collection of Lemon Kitten songs. His band from England in the late seventies on trippy music. Uh, after that, 36 Strings, Joe Bouchard, he's got a new solo record. I just saw him in New York City. He was a, a bass band for Blue Oyster Cult, so it had some uh, effect on me when I was younger. <laughs> it was great to see him and his brother Albert again. Uh, Lester Bangs and the Delinquents, Nuclear War. That was a guy from, uh, he wrote about music in the Midwest there. Uh, God, where was that? Deer, Deerfield? It's kind of near Detroit. It's in Michigan. But it was Cream Magazine. Richard Meltzer also, also wrote for that. Well, Lester uh, made a, a an album, and it's trippy. Uh, Disciplina Kichma out of Serbia. That's uh, Pethokoya Mozak from his first album, early 80s. Uh, Hell Beans from England after that. Sick in the Head. Howie Reeve, Dare to Hope. That's his new record. That's... That's acoustic bass, but not a stand-up. What do you call those, Robbie? Uh, I guess you call it uh, acoustic bass guitar. Okay. That's how he weave on acoustic bass guitar. Uh, very Be Careful with some uh, Vallenato, uh, Columbia, Columbia Music, uh, La Barina de Aleso. We're going to have him on the show next week. And, uh, yeah, Connection Through Joe Bison. Uh, Joe Brewer after that, speaking of uh, connects to Joe, Joe, Joe Brewer, his cousin Jack Brewer, Sacrament Singer. 105 and Me, part five of Subliminal Cal, brand new from Mr. Susan. And finally, out of Cleveland there, open, Scarcity Tanks. I was asked to put some bass on there. And I think uh, Nels Klein and uh, Doug Gilliard are also on that track. Uh Back to your story, Robbie. So, uh, did you, since you were doing the man alone thing, learning off records and kind of educate yourself music wise, did you, uh, what about your own compositions? What about uh, recording in that uh, bedroom? Did you do any of that? Um, you know, the uh, songwriting thing for me is, I, I've never really loved doing it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I never felt like a burning need uh, to do it or to express myself necessarily. But I have noticed that most of the people whose records I like listening to write their own stuff, like a lot of them, especially in the modern age, you know, since the Beatles. And uh, um, Oh, I know what you mean, because the folk tradition, it wasn't really about composing. It was more about interpreting, right? I guess so. I mean, the records that we were talking about earlier, like Doc Watson yeah. and... Um, you know, Carter family. And yeah. yeah, I mean, you did your own versions of songs that had been orally transmitted for a long time. And it was really, to me, it's no less original than if you had written them, you know. Uh, sure, sure. Absolutely. 
you were just, you were fitting them into your own voice and you were oftentimes, you know, reharmonizing them and making up new lyrics or right, forgetting right. New lyrics and inserting other ones. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I, I was always aware that, you know, the modern musician wrote his own songs, you know, since the Beatles introduced the self-contained group concept, especially. And, um, so, uh, so, uh, I guess the answer is that over a lot of years I tried to do it and failed and would occasionally go in and do demos. And, but, and, and I was never really sure even into adulthood, if that was going to be my thing to be a songwriter or if I was going to be a side man or if I was going to be a bluegrass guy or what I was going to be. Um, but, uh, um, but I gradually figured out that I could do it. And even though I didn't necessarily enjoy doing it, um, that it was, <laughs> that it was best to be doing that. And, and, and that I could maybe contribute something, um, more original than if I just played other people's songs. So it was kind of scary, but you, you forced yourself into it. Now, when you said you went in to do, do demos, what, like a studio? Yeah, I mean, that's what I still do. I go go to a studio. I never really did the the, the record-at-home thing. But, um, yeah, I just rent out a studio and learn the hard way. Uh, I'm sure that, uh, you know, I think my experience is just so different from, like, yours and a lot of other people because I, I, I my perception is that, you guys, a lot of you guys figured it out real fast how to work in a studio and how to make interesting music by the time you were 18 or 20 years old. And, and uh, I'm still figuring that one out. Actually, you know what? In those days, older or not, not as young days, <laughs> it was expensive. So yeah. For us Minutemen, let's, uh, let's say Minutemen days. So, uh, like, we'd have to buy used tape. We'd have to record like between midnight and eight when it was half the money. They called it downtime. Basically, what we did was kind of make it like a gig. We would actually play the songs in order so we didn't have to spend money sequencing them. You know, they were okay. almost like gigs in front of the microphone. Yeah, for us, because we came from arena rock, we didn't know about club stuff until punk movement. The gig was a huge revelation for us, you know, where you were actually in a place small that you could do, that you could interact with people. It was much different than sitting in the dark a mile away, you know, with a light show and smoke machine. And it was just completely different. So we thought everything was about the gig, and actually recordings were just like kind of flyers to get people to the gig. <laughs> so we did the records like fly, uh, gigs, just set up and played, hardly any overdubbing. Uh, you know, uh, we we didn't really use it as a creative tool. We were kind of afraid of it, too, because we had no experience in it. And it wasn't like today where you could learn in your bedroom, you know. It, you had to go up to Hollywood or Hermosa Beach or someplace where there was a real studio and lay out some bones. And so that's that's kind of how we did it. Uh, we We had to have everything ready before the studio. And yeah, it's... Uh... The difficult aspect of that, I think, what you're describing, you know, you're in somebody else's place. That's right. So you really can't like, dictate almost anything about it, you know, but A, because you don't know what you're doing, but B, because you're in somebody else's place. It's his place. And, uh, Absolutely. yeah, you're a guest. Right, right. And uh, what we figured is, well, this guy knows his room. He knows his machine. 
Mm-hmm. Hopefully he can capture something up, up about us. And the worst thing we could do is try to get in the way of that. Mm-hmm. So we never tried to, if you notice, there's no produced by Minuteman on, on those records. You know, we always left it up to the engineer man. We had, we had no, yeah, the recording thing was pretty mystical and mysterious to us. Like I said, we were just hoping he could capture something that we brought to gigs. And we never looked at him. Now I look at him as works in progresses. But in those days, we looked at him more like flyers. This right. is going to help get people to the gig. <laughs> right. Yeah, we right. had a different value system. Uh, probably because it was just such a different world than we had been. You know, Before, we were just playing with each other in the bedroom, uh, copying songs. We never thought of music as expression. It was just something we did together, me and D. Boot. So when you said uh, arena rock, are you talking about like 1975 or so? Or when are you talking about? Yeah, well, yeah. The first one was earlier now. It was T-Rex. But I'm 13 in 1970. So my whole teenage life is 70s. And the club mm-hmm. thing don't come until the movement, like in 77, you know, for us. So there's a whole bunch of years there where the only way we experienced music was in these big auditoriums and sports arenas. I see. And that's nothing like a club experience. It's yeah. it's not too empowering unless you're pretty cocksure that you're going to join the uh, gods up in Olympus. But, <laughs> you know, you know, no, but there's something really empowering about a club thing. It's like, I mean, when me and D. Boone saw our first gig, it was the bags up in Hollywood, West Hollywood. The first thing that came out of my mouth is we can do that. And I never said that at an arena rock show. That was more like Nuremberg rally or something. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm, I'm interested in your experience. So you go in there and you make the demos because you want to hear what the song sounded like, sound like recorded. I guess. I mean, I'm trying to remember now. Um, some was of those it part of the things. process? Was it part of the songwriting process? I think, I don't know what the hell I was doing. I think... Uh, I think I was trying to figure out how to record, how to how to make sounds on uh, on tape, you know, and how to and how to organize other players into making a cohesive, you know, uh, accompaniment and um, uh, and and trying to get the attention of a record label because that that was the only way to do it, you know. Yeah, I asked because you call them demos. You don't; they, these weren't supposed to be the finished works. I guess not. No, I guess now that I'm, I, I'm remembering as I'm talking out loud. But I think the major purpose was to, um, besides learning how to do it, was to get the attention of some label. Sure, sure. And yeah, down the road, bloodshot. That's how I know about this album here. Uh, what about uh, the gigs? When you start doing gigs? Well. Um, uh, like I said, I played around Durham when I was in high school, but when I was in college, I was in New York, and um, I tried to fit, latch onto that uh, scene around Folk City and uh, Greenwich Village. So they, they had that place, Gertie's Folk City, another place called the Speakeasy, another place called uh, variously the Other End and the Bitter End, and yeah, sure. so, so I'd go down there and, and do that. And I think that that at the time that scene was um, uh, not in full flower. I think it was kind of fading away. Um, Although Suzanne Vega and a couple other people came out of that period, you know, the early 80s in that period. But, uh, I mean, I did okay in that scene, but I never really was both feet in it, and it never felt totally comfortable, and it uh, and it never, you know, advanced me. So, um, Believe it after- or not, believe it or not, Robbie, the first Minuteman gig by ourselves was Folk City West. 
Really? In 1983, yeah. <laughs> now, what, what was Folk City West? Where was that? It was near there. It was another pad they opened up. Oh, in New York it was? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, okay. Wow, and how'd it go for you? It was funny. We played, uh, a fusion band played with us called President of the United States. <laughs> well, wait a minute. I played a show with those guys once. What year was this? You said... 83. 83? Yeah, this is by ourselves. This is like a Minuteman gig. It's not opening for Black Flag or playing with Husker Du. This is Minuteman. And yeah. the, the, the other band is President of the United States. And they, they, they're really nice guys, and they played a lot of notes. <laughs> well, that's, that's not the same President of the United States from, like, the 90s, is it? No, that was kind of a comedy band out of the Northwest. These guys were oh. New Yorkers. Oh, okay. And there was another band, too, maybe Dark... Chocolate sweet, dark sweet chocolate or something. It's hard to remember now, but just you you talking about that scene there. And it was trippy. Yeah, why are we playing here? But they, the boss who was running the pad just wanted to see the Minutemen, he told us. Wow. So I like when music's just music and we get out of that genre stuff anyway. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so you tried that around. You played that circuit. And then what? And then I moved to Chicago and uh, started playing here. And... Um... What, and made I started, you, what made you do that there, Ronnie? Oh, God. Well, I got a girl pregnant, and uh, we weren't sure where to go, but her folks lived here, so uh, we came out here and decided to live here, and I looked yeah. for a job and just sort of uh, resettled out here and uh, and raised the baby. And and uh, so I got, you know, like a straight job for uh, three years and uh, just gigged around clubs around town here, and uh, and I started playing with the bluegrass uh band uh, special consensus and they were a touring band so um so when i went full-time with them i quit my straight job and haven't looked back since then that was 1987 i guess you're so like a side man yeah, yeah i mean i was the lead singer because the leader of the band was a banjoist who didn't sing too much so um when you were the guitar player in the band you were also you also did a lot of the lead singing and mc work and stuff like that oh great and what were they called? They were called the Special Consensus, Special based on Carlos Castaneda phrase, and uh, sure. they're still around. They've been around since 1975, and uh, wow. he was uh, he ran the IBMA, the International Bluegrass Music thing, for a while. So he's a known like quantity in in bluegrass, and really in Chicago, it's oh, what's the his only, name? What's his name? His name's uh, Greg Cahill. Okay. So if you're in Chicago, that's and you want to do bluegrass full time. I mean, if you're one of those four guys, then that's the only uh, route to go, pretty much. Well, you learned you good, and you helped him out, probably. Look, we're at the end of the first hour, June second, two thousand sixteen edition of Peter Show special guest Robbie Folks. Hold tight for hour two. June second, two thousand sixteen. It's second hour of the Watt Pedro Show. You see them as the trees turn on Colfax Avenue These lonely girls, they come out in the fall With hearts they drag behind them Like long black bridal trains At my age, I feel a father to them all I see more than I need to from my front porch swing 
these days pale to old remember joy Sometimes when I'm not thinking I fall on my knees and sing Where is my boy? Where is my blue-eyed boy? This Midwest that I love proved little more to him than a place you watch grow smaller from a train. If he came back a grown man, his eyes would surely swim to see this place where so much is the same. One God assures our freedom, two armies keep control. The U.S. for the young ones, salvation for the weak and old. Keep your burden from your neighbor, leave a good name when you're gone. People last but a lifetime, and sap and soldiers on. Now the widows of last season flirt in the summer shade Their grapes are torn like bad fruit from the vine Touches of lost lovers, they burn and then they fade While dreaming never lets go of your mind Me, I look each night at a photo by the bed And each morning at another sunrise And if all that we're made of Is these ghosts inside our head Who could blame us for pretending otherwise One God assures our freedom Two armies keep control The U.S. for the young ones Salvation for the weak and old Keep your burdens from your neighbor And leave a good name when you're gone People last but a lifetime And stop and soldiers on
taking you out off of my shoulders again.
backward, back where it just came from. It's
For Pedro Show, we start off the second hour with Robbie Fulks doing South Bend Soldiers On. T- tell us something about that tune, Robbie. Um, I guess you know I was thinking about uh, I, I don't have any really close people that fought in uh, in uh, the recent war, you know, in Iraq. But um, I, I have a pretty close friend that lost her brother there, and uh, and uh, then I talk to people in bars and stuff where I play. So that was on my mind, and uh, and. Uh, the sort of the suffering, the economic suffering in the Midwest is pretty constantly on my mind because I travel around here a lot and, and play in small towns and so forth. And um, You mean like Rust Belt? Yeah, like when I go to play, well, even in bigger towns, I would say especially bigger towns too, like Cleveland and Buffalo. Sure, sure. And, and then down to, uh, you know, downstate Illinois and uh, and then little places like Mount Carroll and Galena and, you know, places nobody's ever heard of. But uh I mean that's where uh that's where the hard times are hitting uh pretty hard right here in the middle of uh in the middle of our uh land and uh and uh and it's also where people are probably uh sacrificing uh, disproportionately to the war efforts and um so anyway all that stuff is kind of constantly uh, simmering in the background and uh for some reason or other uh I can't remember what drew me into that song, but the, the scenario obviously is a guy who had lost his son and was grieving. And I guess the idea is that these places, the places survive and ideas survive, but people, but people don't. You know, people come and go, and the surrounding environment uh, is more is more uh, unchanging. That's kind of a tragic situation that that guy finds himself in. Yeah, the Midwest, I think. People don't understand because of those Great Lakes. It was a whole different thing. That that was the, they were the railroads, they were the freeways, mm-hmm. they were the airports. Yeah, that's how stuff got around. So all those towns were built around the big lakes uh, to move stuff around. And yeah, things changed. And then, like you're saying, outside stuff comes and grabs people and or helps with the beat down. Again, uh, like you said before, you're using kind of heavy stuff as material for tunage. Interesting. We yeah. had a round eye with uh, Billy. That's got brother Steve McKay. I got to serve a bunch of time with him and the Stooges. Steve McKay and the Radon Ensemble after that. Bohunk Lane. Miles with the festival. That ain't Miles Davis. That's one of the sons of the Cheap Trick guitar man. Yeah, I got this from Mike Sosa. Uh, Dinosaur Junior, brand new thing. Junior, it's hard for me to say that. I, they're just dinosaur to me. Tiny, and uh, and then the best uh, band name ever, 
entertainment law. (laughs) 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 And a tune called Irreversible. Negative example, another one. This is from uh, Madison, Bucky Pope, uh, Raging Mule. And finally, uh, from Long Beach here in Cali, Slippers and Asalon. Tune called Ellipsis from their science fiction opera. Okay, uh, after serving time there, and uh, uh, Mr. Greg uh, Cahill, yeah, Cahill, yeah. After serving time with him, what, what happened after that? Oh my God! Are any of your listeners still awake? This story is taking forever. <laughs> That's okay. This is what we've been on for an hour or something, and now we're into. Now I'm 25 years old, and so from then till now, till age 53, it's been uh, a steady journey of joy and enlightenment. And uh, I guess after consensus, uh, I just I started writing in Nashville and uh, on Music Row. That was sort of my next. Step and uh, oh, so you moved from Chicago? You went to Nashville? no, no. I, uh, you know, I was really rooted here by then. You know, the kid that I mentioned was uh, was eight or nine years old by now, yeah. and uh, and I was uh, on the verge of remarrying and having more kids, so I was really rooted here. But I got a job uh, at a publishing house called Songwriters Inc., and uh, they oh, yeah. were the management company for. Uh, Ty Herndon and Tim McGraw and Joe Diffie and some sure. others, and uh, so their publishing arm would sort of feed material into their into their artists you know like a lot of those places um did and still do and um so i got a staff songwriting job there and i would just sort of uh i would write in chicago and uh then travel by bus or or plane down to nashville or drive most of the time actually and uh co-write with people and meet with uh with my pitching people and and but i anyway i did it from chicago you know yeah sure sure interesting uh, almost like Brill Building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the, the Steely Dan guys. A, a lot of people on the show don't have that experience. That's pretty unique, Robbie. Wow. It was cool doing it, you know. It was cool. Uh, what about this tune? Uh, I think you did this for a TV uh, show. It's called Cigarette State. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't do it for a cigarette show, uh, for a TV show, excuse me, but uh, I wrote it up like for a lark. You know, while I was pushing my kid in the stroller around one day, and then uh, no, I, and, I think uh, this performance is on a TV show. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I found it on YouTube. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, tell us something about it. Oh, it's just a goofy, stupid, fucking song about uh, about the beauty of cigarettes, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's the only I wrote in nineteen eighty four and it's the only thing that's nearly that old that I still do and I don't know why I do it except it's real it's kind of fun and easy and it doesn't take guys long to learn and it's a vehicle for like showing off on the guitar. Okay, let's listen. Well, just beyond Virginia's southern border, this is called Cigarette State. It's a land that I am happy to call mine. And I was raised in a house of began mortar in the red clay hills of Central Carolina. Now the corn crop there is hardly worth the mention And the cattle farms are finding out the best It's this little leaf we borrowed from the engines That keeps us steady not just above the rest Now the Georgia peach is fair, Kentucky beyond compare And Alabama's grand, the state not the band Well, the South, she has her diamonds, 
everyone is great, but North Carolina is a cigarette state. Now the folks in our hometown sure have the habit. They smoke the best homegrown the whole year round. They knew what a good time was and how to have it. Cause that was a cigarette town. Our neighbor Frank was no hybrid man of letters, that's you Frank. But he made an honest living off the land. And he'd put away three packs a day better. Cause he was a cigarette man. Now the Georgia Beach is fair, Kentucky beyond compare. But Alabama's grand, the state, not the band. Well, South, she has her diamonds, and everyone is great. But North Carolina is a cigarette state. Robbie. Central Carolina. Now the Georgia Beach is fair, Kentucky beyond compare. Alabama's grand, the state, not the band. Well, the South, she has her diamonds, and everyone is great. But North Carolina is a cigarette state, and North Carolina is a cigarette state.
just like euphoria.
starting up with. First tighten up on the drum. Come on now, drummer. What's the tightening up for me now? Oh yeah. Tighten up on that bass now. Tighten it up. <laughs> yeah. Now let that guitar fall in. Oh yeah. Tighten up on the organ now. We heard uh, Robbie Folks doing Cigarette State. And then Slack Rope Walkers with Quiet Room. Wovet with Pressure. GG Band. Jet Lag Euphoria. Kid Gloves. Something live from Nostromo. I think they're out of Iowa. GG Band out of uh, Oaktown. Motown Fire Department with Alibi. And finally, something from the old days. Tighten Up. Archie Bell and the Drells. I just love that too. I mean, we don't have such uh, we don't have self-referential tunes anymore. You know, how was that self-referential? The tight note. Well, like you're talking to the, the yeah. Hey, bass player. Hey, drummer. Hey, you know. Remember, right. Sly had that song uh, "Dance to the Music," and Jim yeah. Brown had a lot in his songs where he's actually talking to the guys in the band you know, to get it together. <laughs> I should write one called Play Better. <laughs> Cut down the clams. <laughs> Cut down on the clams. Okay, so how long did you do this, the staff writing? Oh, uh, well, I did it kind of freelance for a year and then did it for that company that I mentioned for, uh, I guess we had a three-year contract. So 
kind of I was in that natural scene for four years and all, and it overlapped with the beginning of my making records for you know Bloodshot under my name. So uh, those two things kind of happened at the same time. Well, you think on purpose or just coincidence? Oh, it was just coincidence, you know. I was just, you know, for a really long time, it seems like from the late 70s until the early 90s, I was just trying to, like, get my name out and try to get a foot into the music world and uh, uh, by any means possible. So, you know, the bluegrass gig and the writing gig and then the bloodshot, like putting out a little indie record, you know, all different efforts at trying to figure out what I was going to do and and make my way somehow into what's called without laughing the business. And then, um, or the racket. Yeah. <laughs> At first they were kind of particular about what was, you know, coming out under their banner. Yeah. But, um, but after I made a, a little name for myself, it hasn't really come up again. You know, they haven't been too, well, not intrusive at all, really. I just hand it to them and they put it out. <laughs> you, you don't d- d- uh, deliver finished masters. Exactly. That's what I used to do at Columbia, you know. Uh, people couldn't believe it. But I think if you get a situation and people trust you, I mean, there's already enough generic out there, so why not, if somebody's got a vision, let them follow through on it. What group were you working with for Columbia? Was that uh, Firehose or? Yeah, and then Mike Watt on his own. Oh, okay. It was 14 years altogether. But I never had to make a demo. I never had to submit stuff so you had somebody that really uh backed you up and well it was part of the deal i made at the beginning i uh-huh. had already done 11 years with sst so i knew about autonomy but in addition you must have had somebody that really believed in you and represented you well right uh in a and r or something yeah i had an a r man yeah a couple of them <laughs> oh, one of the one guy who stayed steady was the boss Dottie uh-huh. Einer and the product manager. Okay. And I guess, they, you know, uh, yeah, I jammed Econo. It was much yeah. different. I was di- a much different uh, horse in the stable. <laughs> yeah. Most acts. They wanted me to do talks, in fact, with uh, a lot of the younger acts because these people had just weird ideas about the racket. And we're at the end of the second hour. I'm, June second, two thousand sixteen, Dish Walk Peter Show special guest Robert Folks. Hold tight for hour three. June second, two thousand sixteen. It's the third hour of the Watt Pedro Show. Maybe time has wrought some changes. Maybe I remember wrong It stands to reason I've grown softer I was married for so long I took a chill late last April Lost 30 pounds by mid-July Not that the old place was the answer one last thing that I could try I had scarcely laid my back down When my misjudgment hit me square I was welcomed like a guilty prisoner Old grievances fouled the air 
400 miles mean nothing One man's troubles are his own The land is run down and ragged I should have never come home There's a couple babies in the cradle Sister's gone east for a time Mama's boiling water by the wood stove Neighbors stealing glances through the blind Now she's looking at me through their eyes And I see the thought she hides in vain All my years among the silken tongue, the fallen Made this cancer in my brain Cheap coal spilling from the hilltops The earth is shaking from the old drag lines But when these little towns lie sleeping It's like it must have been before mankind Watch the wild midsummer moonlight Drifting slow across the lawn Catch the outlines of creation As morning comes on Now there's cousins dropping in from Priceville Self-regard these Baptists fairly shine Mama gives them high admiration Contempt is the best that I can find Four hundred miles mean nothing One man's troubles are his own Sick and torn from wife and children I should have never come home I hear them whispering my name Late at night beneath my room Their voices rise as they grow drunker Black vultures gathering at my tomb Humbled by the ancient Jewish prophets Dazzled by the distant network feed Born by the promise of tomorrow They'll bury me with all speed Now I was born in New York City Down here, I'm near a slave Can't hardly take in one more body Can't afford another grave Four hundred miles mean nothing One man's troubles are his own This land is run down and ragged I should have never come home 
conversations I pull the needle aside I don't believe in a faith but
show started the third hour off with Never Come Home, Robbie Folks. What do you say about that one, Rob? Oh, man, that's a depressing song. Uh, you know, it's about a guy. Well, I mean, your, your listeners already heard it, so I won't say what it's about. But um, No, I liked it. I was The main thing I remember about that record was the players that came in. Uh, some of my favorites, uh, Wayne Horvitz, who I've loved for a long time from Naked City and um, – and other like you know downtown New York acts in the '80s, but I never got to record with them until now. Uh, and he plays some great stuff on there. Fats Kaplan plays the steel on it, and uh, uh, Robbie Gerso, Alex Hall, Todd Phillips. Todd was from the David Grisman band in the '70s uh, in the Bay Area, and with the Tony Rice band after that. And uh, so anyway, a lot of the, the players is what I just really, really dug on that record. Okay. Sounds good. A layman after that with Basement the Sun, Unstuck, King Harvest and the Wait. The big moment is always out there waiting, Nick Millivoy. And finally, The Happies with Pancakes. Uh, you've been touring, right? You've been on, uh, doing some gigs. Oh, yeah. I've been touring since 1987, but... Uh, no, I mean, just recently. <laughs> it kind of kind of ramps up when there's a new record out. Yeah. So uh, I've been working hard for sure, for the last couple of months. And, and, what, and what do you got with you? You got a, a band with you, right? Uh, I go out, I've been going out with a quintet sometimes and with a trio sometimes. And so, you know, for this next, uh, let's see, this next uh, three weeks, I'll be out with uh, uh, fiddle and bass mostly as a trio. No drummer? No, I don't work with drummers anymore generally. Uh, uh, because the bass guy can kind of do that, right? He can kind of do that, and uh, I, I, I've lost a lot of hearing over the years, and uh, <laughs> I wanted to try something new. Got down on the bam, bam. <laughs> I got tired of hearing that drum kit after a while. It's, uh, I mean, I work with great drummers, and I, I like them uh, as people a lot. And uh, But the, 
the drum kit, I don't know, it tends to be used in a really uh, formulaic way after a while. And, and you know, if you're going to subdivide each bar of music with a big loud thwack on the snare drum in the middle of it, <laughs> it gets boring. And uh, who's on the fiddle with you? Uh, Shad Cobb, a, a great uh, hillbilly fiddler from uh, Dairyland, Wisconsin. And who's on the bass? Todd Phillips. Okay. Okay, respect. And when you do the quintet? Uh, well, then I add, I do add drum set, but he plays a lot with brushes, and yeah. he plays a small drum set. And uh, then there's a steel guitarist. A lap or a pedal? Pedal. Okay. Wow. Those are incredible. Uh, They're both to, great. Yeah, that's a I good question. I got to stand lap. next to one at, a, believe it or not, a Stooges gig. This guy in Austin, I can't remember his name, but he was tearing it up. They're, they're an incredible instrument. Oh, Yeah. You have all to be a mathematician. The, all the possibilities. Yeah. I mean, the voicings of the chords and the what gets plucked, what gets bent, it's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, it is incredible. Yeah, the number it, of strings, the absence of frets, the knee levers, and the pedals, and the volume, uh, you know, the pots. Right. Uh, and the finesse with the hand. Yeah. You know, the whole thing, it's, it's quite an instrument. It's, I was tell, talking to Nels Klein about that in the lap steel, and he said, way different one. Because <laughs> 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 I guess, you know, he's got a straight thing with Wilco, and they asked him to do a little lap. And uh -huh. we were in Tokyo, and he actually got to play on a pedal. And he, yeah, he said, way different one. <laughs> Did he learn it just recently then, the pedal? Oh, he, he, you know, he worked it the way he could. He, he said it takes a lot of time. It takes a, a lot of experience. But he yeah. said, the, like I did, the possibilities are like, whoa. Nels is a great player. I love his playing. Um, but as far as pedal steel, there's uh, most guys just specialize in that. Well, now that I'm saying it, there's a, Winnie Winston does banjo and pedal steel, and there's a couple utility guys like Fats that steel is one of, you know, ten different things. But for the most part, I think it's, you know, steel and nothing else for those guys Cause, because the uh, the learning curve is so is so steep. Right, and, right. Uh, you know, the mental uh, uh, concentration is so focus. vast. Focus. Yeah. You don't want to dilute the focus. No. What, what, what about this fare thee well? Carolina gals. Is this about Durham? Uh, yeah, yeah. I went to a high school reunion and uh, ran in a lot of people. Well, there. you went to one. I've never, you know, this year's 40 for me, 40 years, and I still haven't been to one of those. I don't recommend it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> people come up and, I don't know, people come up and they either look defeated by life and you're like, who are you? And they're, oh, you're that person that I used to know really well, but life has made a wreck out of you and you're now unrecognizable. And, uh, you know, um, or there's people that look exactly the same. There was this guy who looked exactly the same. And I said, what are you up to? And he said, uh, oh, same thing as in the seventies, painting houses, living in my parents' basement, you know, smoking pot. And, uh, <laughs> I said, oh, holy shit. Well, I, I had to reevaluate everything about life after that reunion. Cause you know, Apparently, having no ambitions and doing nothing in life keeps you young and happy, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I found out. Okay, let's listen to two. Those were slim gals would swing their feet down the airport side of Franklin Street, and I'd watch them in the not quite innocent way. I'm looking at them this evening. 
back the plans I put on hold while the town got smaller and the days unrolled. Now there ain't but two stories told, and this one's about leaving. Well, I remember Katie, then Rosalie. I was pressing my luck when I tried for three. Some shrink from a shameful deed, and me, I'd do it gladly. If I hand you a line, you know that's true. If I give you a couple, then it's yours to choose. One story from a total of two has got a good chance to end badly. So fare thee well, Carolina gals. I'm going where you can't find me. There'll be trouble in the days to come, and a lot more fools behind me. Just a lad about yea tall, sniffing that glue in the Northgate Mall. Down where the anchor men say you all, and kindness is a show for strangers. All them B school boys and old hippie men, sweating in the sun to no clear end. I made a medium to poor boyfriend and a pretty good house painter. So fairly well, Carolina gals, I'm born where you can't find me. There'll be trouble in the days to come, and a lot more fools behind me. A simple phrase and a well-made tune. A stack of leaves sound good on the moon. You don't need a cane chair and a hound dog. He'd sing the blues. I just smiled. I was such a calm, settled child. Thanking the Lord, never dreaming the while he was laying out my downfall. So with my hair in my eyes and my chest out swelled, I stood on the porch and I buzzed the bell. Peeking round the blind, knowing full well that her folks was gone to Boston. They mean quiet when they say lights out, but that was love making, and it made me shout. Daddy would have come home fast, no doubt, if he knew what the weekend had cost him. So fare thee well, Carolina gals, I'm going where you can't find me. There'll be trouble in the days to come, and a lot more fools behind me. Now, if a cruel word escapes my mind, don't worry, baby.
maybe it's just the wine. On second thought, it's not the wine. It's just me talking. We men pour out our problems like we think that they're unique. They cheer when a baby starts to speak. Ought to give 'em a prize for stopping. Baby, don't you be too surprised if I cash in the farm after Mama dies. Get a Cadillac and just ride till the Pacific meets the pumper. Stop looking at me like I've lost a screw. Like things had to leave where they led to. With the house half gone to Kudzu, I'd be lucky to get a clunker. By luck I landed in the upper south. By God I gotta make my own way out. I shoulda read the signs by now. I shoulda heard the locals buzzing. Tommy Thompson's dead and gone, and I've been feeling not so strong. Chapel Hill hasn't done me wrong. It was fine till it wasn't. So fare thee well, Carolina gals. I'm going where you can't find me. There'll be trouble in the days to come, and a lot more fools behind me. Fare thee well, Carolina gals. I'm going where you can't find me. There'll be trouble in the days to come, and a lot more fools behind.
Watch for Pedro Show. We heard Robbie Folks doing fairly well. Carolina Gals, sorry. Then uh, Hi-Fi Club out of Toulon, France with Siliona. And finally, Yurt out of Dublin, Ireland with Ruptured by the Shrapnel. Maybe that's for uh, South Bend Soldiers On. Uh, it's trippy young people getting into Prague. <laughs> Was about to happen. Uh, so, 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 Robbie, what's your uh, plans right now? Oh, well, the plumber's coming over in a little bit, and uh, <laughs> okay. I got to clean out under the sink for him. And uh, after that, I'm going to dinner with my son and his son and his wife. And uh, um, and then tomorrow, I'm going down to Houston, where I guess my gig just got canceled. They're having some bad weather down there. Yeah, a lot of rain. Yeah. And it, it... They built the freeways uh, with a lot of, especially the underpasses. They fill up. I see yeah. cars floating. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. My heart goes out to people in Texas right now. I try to stay down. So you're still going to go out there even though the gig's scissored? Well, you know, I've got the rooms paid for, and okay. I've got other people going with me, and we drive to Austin next day. Plus there's a couple other. I mean, there's a Oh, you've got, more, you've got more gigs. Okay. I got more gigs down there, so we'll just uh, we got a deposit, and we'll uh, which almost covers it. We'll eat the day and then drive on to Austin, I guess. Sure, it ain't, it ain't that far. In fact, they're trying to fill up that gap with track homes. <laughs> oh, between Houston and Austin? Uh, yeah, you know, in between it, it, it what's it called? US two ninety. There's a US highway right, there, right? Right. And uh, actually, in the middle is that town Lagrange. You know the. Uh, ZZ Top song. Yeah. Yeah. Well, from both ends, the track homes, like you'll see when you get to Austin, there's now a toll road to get you in there. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're trying to film. They're doing the California thing where you just make huge metro areas. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I guess, you know, strip malls and track homes. But still, those are good, both good towns to play. So you, you got some Texas gigs coming up. Great. Going up to right. Dallas. So I can get chicken fingers every 15 minutes along the drive is what you're telling me. That's right. And, you know, the humidity's coming, so maybe it's good to get Texas done with before the hard summer. Uh, yeah. But you're, you're, you're Midwest. You know humidity. You know, people yeah. think it's a north-south thing. I think it's just east of the Rockies. <laughs> well, that's a good uh, theory, actually. But, because uh, I've, I've been in Montreal in July, and it's murder. It's not is a north-south right? thing. Yeah. You would not believe how sweaty it is. But, but maybe that's also because living in California is so spoiled. <laughs> it's just about perfect, right? <laughs> There's a lot of shooting and stuff. But, yeah, the weather's <laughs> calm. You can kayak on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, I always ask the guests this at the end of the show. You know, if somebody uh, younger or maybe less younger, but come up to you and ask for advice about the racket. What would you tell them, Robbie? Uh, I would tell them, I, I don't know a ton about the business of it, you know. I mean. Well, what about just experience? of? of that's what I'm thinking. Experience. I'm thinking more along those lines. I would say that uh, now, after a lot of years, I stopped thinking about, uh, I decided to stop worrying so much about uh economics and management and labels and band photos and uh, strategies. And I decided I really want to think about the music more 
and make sure that I'm happy with the music and make sure that I have uh, the mic that I want to have and the sound that I want to have and that I'm writing good songs. And, uh, and that comes first. And uh, it, it sounds like a corny and idealistic. No, I think that's great. But things really improved for me after that. And they improved, you know, probably ironically, they improved, you know, on the other front as well. You know, my record started selling a little bit better. But the mainly I was happier and I was making better music. So I don't know if that, uh, you know, you reach that brink after a lot of years of doing it a different way. Uh, I don't know if that's great advice for a 20-year-old or not. Maybe when you're 20, the better advice is just to go out and try to burn down the world and kick as much ass as you can and <laughs> not worry so much about the artistic ends, end of things. But uh, but anyway, my experience was that life really improved when I stopped worrying about things that I couldn't control so much. I mean, because you can – the thing that I can control is I can play better and I can write better and sing better. I can really work on that and uh, – and make it better, but the other stuff is just like almost totally out of my hands, you know. How how people respond to it, how many records you sell, it's something I can't control. You're absolutely right. I, I think that's sound advice. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Mike, Truly. it's been a total pleasure talking with you. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I wish you safe seas. You're going out there, watch this rain, and I know you put all your heart in the gigs and your cats play with you too, so... Uh, really, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. It was an honor. Okay. It's been the June 2nd, 2016 edition of the Waffle Peter Show with my special guest, Robbie Folks. Everybody out there, keep your powder dry. <laughs>